Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. Look at that. We're back. Uh, I like how I say we when talking about the podcast as though there are other people. It's just it's just me here, team. But the we is you and I together. All right. Thanks so much to everyone uh, who shared your thoughts about the podcast, social media, gender and music, your survey, all of this stuff. In the last couple of weeks, it's been super helpful to get your input. You all are the best. And one lucky listener got a $100 Visa gift card, too. Check that out. So here's what I learned from the survey. Most of you listen because you, you like the perspectives from the guests. People tend to like the length of, pod, of the podcast. Most of you listen while driving or commuting. Most of you think I should start a YouTube channel and begin interviewing cis men at least sometimes. You like the current social media content. Most of you have at least checked out, if not bought something from one of our sponsors. And you think that most gear, music gear manufacturers, retailers, and pretty much everyone who attends NAM should see, uh, see the results of the gender and music gear survey. If you disagree with any of this that I just said, <laughs> because that's this is the input that I got from the people who filled out the survey, or if you have additional thoughts at all, please let me know. So I'm taking all of this into account and we'll begin rolling out some things shortly, including the gender music your survey results, which I know I've been talking about for a long time, but I really want to make sure it gets out to as many people as possible and getting super close. It's going to be real nice. And, you know, that's been one of the major things that I've worked on in the last couple of weeks as well. So uh, I also started combining some content via Midriff's Instagram posts. If you follow Midriff on social media, you know I've been doing what I call like weekend jammers. I don't know why I call it that. It seems right. These like super short gear demos so that they fit on Instagram every other week or so. I started combining that with like I guess what you would call like educational content or something. So I'll show off a pedal or something and then provide a quick tip. My hope here is that people will come for the gear or get, you know, be like, ooh, a gear video or music. I like music. And then they're like, oops, surprise. I'm going to stay here for this content that I didn't know was here. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Seems like people like it. Let me know what you think. Either way, it's been fun to kind of like mix it up and try something different or at least different from what other folks might be doing. So that's, I mean, I guess I, I like it. It's fun. Um, all right. So today's guest is Amy Mills, who I originally knew as like a rad luthier who used her really beautiful Instagram platform to talk about trans issues and gender more broadly. After investigating, I also learned that she has like one zillion amazing musical projects, including a noise rock band, a black metal band, a quiet, beautiful solo project where she plays harp guitar. She's also an amazing photographer. We had a great conversation, and after we talked, she mentioned that she was going to be coming to Providence for a wedding, so we met up last week, walked around town, had a snack, got a tour of the Wedding Cake House run by the Dirt Palace, which is a feminist art collective in Providence, and that was a lot of fun. So it was, it was really nice to get to you know meet her in person, so that was awesome. Um, on both Amy's personal Instagram page and on the Retrofret page, you can find great like retrospectives on vintage and antique gear and some really cool repair run-throughs, too. Highly, highly recommended. Uh, we get into that and much more in the interview. And, uh, you know, if you, <laughs> I, I, we also got into like some very specific, like kind of weird vintage amps, including ones with like changeable modules. And I'd mentioned a Seymour Duncan amp in particular, but couldn't at the time remember the model. In case you're curious, it's called the Seymour Duncan convertible amp. That's what it is. So if, if that's interesting to you, go check that out. All right. After the interview, you can stick around and hear me cover the topic of gender-neutral language a bit, specifically around the, the, the language of most guys. So I'll talk about that. Um, I want to, before we get into everything, thank this episode's sponsors for making Midriff and this episode a reality. First, we have Earthquaker Devices. Earthquaker continues to just crush everything with their pedals, with their content, etc., Yesterday, I watched a video from their new series looking at the stories behind some of their discontinued pedals, which is fascinating, and I'm excited to see more of those. They've also shared a blog by Alicia Bognano from Bully, uh, an older interview with Madhu Mokhtar, a video with Vernon Reed from Living Color, and a cool bass video with Nikki Stevens featuring the Astral Destiny. Astral Destiny on bass. Who knew it was going to happen? 
You know how I like a reverb on a bass? It's great. What new videos or devices will they come up with next? We're just going to have to find out. Check out their Instagram, which is EarthquakerDev, or their website, EarthquakerDevices.com, for more. I will reiterate my continued love for the Palisades, Hoof, and Ghost Echo. I really just can't quit them. Obviously, you know they have a million other cool things that you should check out. So, uh, so yeah, check it out. I also want to thank Stompbox Sonic. Stompbox Sonic provides musicians with an extensive tonal palette for auditory exploration, specializing in effects pedals. They offer a curated collection of companies, large and small, some locally crafted, some assembled from around the world. Adam and Jen have been helping musicians and sound-based artists find their sound since 2009. By working collaboratively through one-on-one consultations, they do more than sell you a pedal. They ignite the creative spark to bring your music to life. They create a comfortable, judgment-free environment for all musicians where sonic experimentation is encouraged. Whether you play guitar, bass, trumpet, harp, whatever, roads, circuit bent speaking spells, Stompbox Sonic will work with you to find the right effects to fit your project. And I've talked about them a bunch here. Go check them out, whether you're in Boston proper or if you are, um, you know, if you want to work with them virtually, you can do that. They are fabulous people. Go check them out as well at stompboxonic.com. Last but not least, thanks to Holcomb Guitars, Nick Holcomb builds beautiful custom guitars to your specifications and has a mobile guitar repair setup as well. That means he will literally come to you in Rhode Island or Massachusetts, fixing your guitar on site or picking it up and dropping it off when he's done. Who does that? No one. No one does that. No one except Nick. He has set up, repaired, and modified many of my own instruments, and he does great work. I also like knowing that we share values on important topics, and I'm guessing if you are listening, that's probably important to you too, right? That and not treating me like a baby when I ask for something related to my guitar. (laughs) Nick will treat you like a regular old human person in the world who deserves respect. Who knew it was possible? (laughs) Nick is great. If you want to learn more, check out HolcombGuitars.com or follow him on Instagram at HolcombGuitars. As we're heading into the interview, one quick note, Amy lives in New York, so you might occasionally hear sirens or traffic, as one might expect. I tried to remove some of it, but, you know, don't be surprised if that comes through a little bit. With that, here's my interview with Amy Mills. Welcome to Midriff. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. This is great. So for folks who might not know you, can you introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about yourself and your background with music? Uh, my name is Amy Mills. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a queer femme trans woman, and I work as a luthier and do photography and also playing a few different bands and my background in music goes all the way back to elementary school when I was in probably fifth grade I started playing trumpet and then played trumpet all through school and then I went to a conservatory for a year but realized that like a classical career wasn't really in my future so I went to art school instead yes obviously that's great yeah. uh, I like the the trumpet to art school transition yeah it's log- it's logical yeah exactly so you're in a couple of different bands do you want to talk about that because you have a a few things going on sure i think the most active project is called couch slut and that was a band that we started it i think it was it must have been like 2013 it was right when i moved to new york my friend theo and i um got together and then we started you know finding other people to be in the band and i left the band for a little bit but i came back and we are playing a halloween show at saint vitus which is sold out but we also added a november 1st date so people could come see it and then we have a show in november potentially and then i also have like a black metal band that was more active you know in like 2014 but um we put out one record and then haven't really done anything since i have like an ep that's basically ready to go except for the vocals so 
that might be done soonish. We'll see. It's, I've had it ready for like three years and it hasn't happened yet. So who knows? But uh, that's awesome. Are you recording that on your own or is it? Yeah. Uh, it's all, oh, except yeah. for the drums. I did all the recording myself. Nice. And then I have like a solo project where I just play harp guitar and a bunch of stuff. And that is, that's out. And there's a pre-order for the LP, which I'm hoping will get funded because it doesn't get produced if it doesn't actually sell all the pre-orders. So there's like 30 ah. some left. So I'm hoping yep. that the law will get bought and it's going to get the, be made into a real object. Yes. That's awesome. I mean, I, I, I'm asking you to describe it possibly because partly because you just have so many, it's like very impressive, the range of different styles that you're working in and like that, yeah, I feel like to be able to work in the, all those different spaces effectively is like very cool. I love it. Like, they yeah, they're bring, all, they're you all know. different projects. Yeah. Like I could see like the emotions coming out of each one being different to some degree. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Like one of the things I noticed, I was watching some video from Couch Slut, who I, I think is great. And I, <laughs> I saw that you're playing a 12 string Burns Oh yeah, in that band? Used, is that accurate or maybe that, not all the time but that was my main guitar in the band for the first um several years but mm-hmm. then when i then when i came back i started playing the six string but i used the 12 string on some songs yeah i guess playing 12 string in a heavier project like that like how does that like what what's what was the v- role you were seeing the 12 string taking in that um it was just i just love that guitar and Fair. the way that the higher octaves sort of made the the notes and the chords cut through was really interesting and how it blended mm-hmm. with Kevin's parts. So it kind of just made it sound bigger and thicker. Yeah, it's funny because I, you know, I guess I haven't played 12 strings electrically that much. I mean, I haven't played 12 strings a super ton anyway, but playing them electrically, can it function? Like if you were playing a 12 string with a fuzz, could that work almost like an octave fuzz to your ear? Is that yeah, how totally. it worked for you? And yeah. Like okay. The, the double courses on the top two strings can sound like a chorus effects. And I usually right. play with a unison, a unison G string, not the octave G string. Ah, so that mm-hmm. has a cool effect. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. And I mean, I guess that's the nice thing with 12 string too, is that you can be a little creative with things like strings and tuning and stuff like that too. Totally. Cool. Yeah. That, that stringing is actually what there's like a, it's a sixties Burns 12 string. So in the sixties Burns put out this thing called the Burns bulletin. And, and one of them, they had like new ideas for tr- stringing your 12 string guitar. And so they suggested instead of putting an octave with the G string, just having another unison G string. Mm-hmm. I was like, that sounds cool. So I tried it and I like it a lot. Was it just on the G? Just on the G. Yeah. Interesting fascinating <laughs> yeah. uh so what did you end up switching to in that project i started i got this micro frets guitar from 1970 mm. um it's a signature model it was made for tommy cash's band so it has like a little cat made out of pickguard material on the bottom of it and i just yeah. thought it was i think i saw cute. this on your instagram yeah, yeah. i definitely posted <laughs> about it so that guitar is it just sounded really good i wasn't sure how it sound you know with all the the big amps and stuff, but it actually, it cuts and it sounds really good. So I was super That's happy awesome. with that. What are you using uh, amp-wise? I have a Vampower amp. I can't remember the model number. It's like a 100-watt tube head from like the early Whoa. 70s. Um, the most notable person that used those was the guy from T-Rex, um, Mark mm. Bowen. Mm-hmm. Um, the amps were made by a former Vox employee, so they kind of are similar to like the bigger Vox amps. From the 60s. I'm not familiar with that model. That's cool. Or There's I guess not the, very many the company. Yeah. Out there. So they're kind of like an obscure thing. But if you how do you like, spell that? Is it like V A M P? Vampower? Yeah. Okay. Vampower. Cool. Yeah. Like, like vampire. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's just too good. I can't. I'm dying. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't believe I didn't catch that the first time. So <laughs> for your solo work, obviously, uh, it's like a whole different situation. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's all been pretty much acoustic stuff where I play. I have like my Newton harp guitar from 1912 and I have like a Baroque flute from the 1790s and like a little zither and like a bunch of other kind of weird little acoustic instruments. And the idea for that project was to like make music that was all being produced by like actual wood like using mm. like or- organic materials to make the music basically. 
Although I've yep. started doing some stuff with electric guitar, but I think for the recordings, I'm probably going to keep it all acoustic. It's nice, I think, like you're saying, to have some sort of like boundaries around something when you're creating it initially, I think. Definitely. Like, you know, like everything has to be wood because otherwise it can be kind of overwhelming. But now that right. you've sort of like honed it in, you can add stuff, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot because I tend to be a person that gets like really overwhelmed with like choice. And so right. yeah. <laughs> I, I respect that totally. <laughs> decision. Yeah. Uh, so, so for epistasis, that's your, was your metal band, right? Is, it, is that, and that's not so much functioning right now, right? No, it's kind of become like yeah. a bedroom project at this point. Got it. Got it. So for the vocal stuff that you're doing for that, do you have particular effects that you tend to use for that? I guess for both recording or live or however you want to approach that. I don't really use much in terms of effects processing for the vocals. Yeah. I think it's probably some reverb um, yeah. overall and like. I think I probably had some delay on it in some parts, but it's so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's so cool. And so I was just like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. What's oh. going on here? I want more. I want more information. Um, yeah. yeah, it's so good. So, yeah. So the like, I guess, effects more generally, do you tend to, you know, what what do you tend to use for effects or, or not? For a while, I didn't really use much at all. I had a. Mm -hmm. You know, like a rat pedal that was my main pedal in the band for pretty much, you know, the first several years in the band. And I was like, I don't really need anything else. This is great. Um, but yep. recently, after I got that new amp, um, it just sounded so good. The rat pedal was just sounding a little too lo-fi, which mm -hmm. I mean, the couchlet sound is very lo-fi. But I was kind of looking for something a little bit better just for like live. That's really going to let the parts speak better. So I yeah. recently got this pedal. It's I think the brand name is shit. Let me grab the box. I can't. I can never cool. remember the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, it's an Alarex. It's like a boutique company. Oh, A L A I R E X. Cool. They make this cool. overdrive pedal called the Halo. I got this because Bill Frizzell brought a bunch of pedals into the shop to sell, and I yep. was like, "Oh, that looks interesting." So I tried it out, and I was like, "Oh, this is really good." Oh, that's it's awesome. It's got like two different game channels and it has like a bass EQ, a contour setting, like a presence setting. You can change the saturation, like the waveform of everything. And so I sort of dialed that in at practice and then I was like, wow, this is really amazing sounding. And then I that's have great. a, um, for one little part in one song, I have a, a little reverb delay set up. Um, I use the Keeley Caverns pedal. Which I still oh, yeah, need to do. they sent cool. it to me and I still need to do a demo video for them. But I've been like kind of wanting to yeah. sit with it for a while to make sure I really get all I yeah. can out of it. But that's a great pedal. And then I just got this. I have an MXR Phase 100 from the mm -hmm. 70s that I just got repaired. And I'm thinking that's going to be perfect to do a like a Leslie simulator. So on the recording Ooh. for the, the guitar part that I was using the reverb delay for, we had like a Leslie mm -hmm. effect on that. And I was like, I don't know what to do. When I do that live, like what sounds like that live. So the phaser, if you turn it all the way up, it really sounds mm -hmm. kind of like similar to that. So I think it'll give the right effect. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So for, we talked a little bit about your current setup. Is there yeah. anything big that I missed? Is there like some key piece that we haven't talked about yet? No, I feel like we jumped right into that. Yeah, that's, so that's pretty much it. Um, it's not a very elaborate setup. Like live, I usually have two pedals and like the amp and the guitar. And cool. I think the cabinet is, I think it's a custom Swanson sound design cab. It's kind of made to be like a high watt cab. Okay. I, it's like on loan to me from a friend who I got the amp head from as well. But he mm -hmm. wanted the amp, he wants the cab back someday. It's a really <laughs> nice cab. But I've been nice. using that and it sounds great. Um, is that like a 212 or a 412 or? It's two, 212. Yeah. I'd mm -hmm. love to find an original Vampower cab because the original would have had like a two, you know, like a stack, like a Marshall style stack, but they're really mm -hmm. rare to find the cabs for them. I've only ever seen one for sale that had the original cabinets, but wow. I'd love to find that. Yeah. I'm going to do a lot of research about this Vampower situation because I'm fascinated. <laughs> the coolest part about that amp is that it had uh, like modular control panels. So like you can pull out the control plate that has like the volume and the EQ and stuff. And then it has like a little chip 
that inserts into like a circuit board. So you can pull that out and then put a different one into it because they had other ones that had different effects built into them. Was it kind of like like uh, like when there's those Electra guitars that had the like MPC module thing that you could pull out? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's kind of yeah. like that. Yeah, it looks but, like you know, like a Super Nintendo cartridge. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's like a really situation. early version of like you know those kind of um, connectors. And I don't know. Oh, I think you know you'd what? have to get another one that works with 100 watts, but it'd be fun to find. I that. think those. Um, the other, the only other time I've heard of an amp doing it is those Seymour Duncan amps. Uh, they had some very generic name. I can't remember what they're called, but they have a similar thing. I think a new amp. No, they're old. They're, they're from old. like the eighties or not early nineties. I think. Yeah. Uh, that to me, that's uh, new. I mean, but, um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah. not. You know, they're not yeah, yeah. that old, but they are not brand new. So. Um, and I think you could do a similar thing where it's like, it was kind of pre, I think you could put, you could set it like had different, you could do it at like 10 Watts or 30 Watts, that kind of situation. But also it was like, here's your module for a Marshall. Here's your right. module for a Fender. Here's your, oh, that's for, yeah. 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 Was it, was it digital? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. I'm not a hundred percent sure though. Yeah. Who I'm knows? Intrigued. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll find out the information and I'll share with you and the general public. Awesome. <laughs> so we talked about some of your current stuff going on, but let's go back a little bit and talk about like how you sort of got into music. So you said you started playing trumpet, right? Yes. When you were in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of kept going for a while. It sounds like at what point did you start playing guitar or bass or how, what was that process for you? Um, I started playing guitar, I think... I think it was sophomore year when I was at MassArt, I was like getting into like John Zorn and mm-hmm. a bunch of weird harsh noise and improv music. And then um, I think I heard like Babes in Toyland and like no oh, music, like DNA and yeah. Lydia Lunch and stuff. And I was like, I want to play yeah. guitar. I'm like, I don't care if I'm bad at it. I just want to play guitar and like make a no advance. So I like went and bought a guitar. It's like a 60s K single pickup guitar mm. and I played I started a band with my friend Lauren who was also a trumpet player um, but she played drums <laughs> and we started a band called Toilet Phone and <laughs> we didn't ever practice all the songs were improvised and wow it was great and so that kind of and then I kept playing guitar and I never really took it seriously but it's kind of kept teaching myself how to play I never took lessons and now here mm-hmm. I am my whole life is guitar so <laughs> It's weird. <laughs> toilet phone forever. Yeah, toilet phone forever. I I was for it. I haven't seen her in so long, but it'd be fun to get Aww. back together and do that. That would be amazing. I support it. Yeah. <laughs> and so that are those the main? Do you play other instruments as well, or? Um, I play. I can kind of play like other brass instruments, like a baritone, mm-hmm. or anything with like three valves. I can probably figure out. Like probably not a tuba because that's such a different embouchure, but like a baritone yeah. or you know something with a smaller, smaller mouthpiece, I could probably do. Yeah, and I can like play a little bit of keyboard, but I'm not good at it. And I know how to tune a mandolin and play some chords on that. And same with ukulele, but I don't really consider myself like you know proficient at either of those. Yeah, you could you could get around if you needed to, but yeah, yeah. If I really had to learn something on those, I could sit down and do it. But yeah. Yeah. Maybe you'll have a mandolin emergency and you'll, you know, know. there's like could happen. several mandolins in my apartment right now that need to be repaired. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a fabulous transition into our conversation about your work with Retrofret. Oh, great. <laughs> so, so how did you get into this? I know you, you were on Reverb. You did a interview with Mallory at Reverb recently. Yes. Um, and I think you probably touched on some of that or there, but how did, how yeah. did you get into your experience with repair and luthiership? Um, that was also kind of by accident. I, when I was doing, a, I was doing a master's degree at Purchase College in music, mainly focusing on like composition and uh, recording and songwriting and stuff. But I was, I made friends with the piano repair technician. And so he had like a shop on the, in the music building. And so I'd go there and hang out with him and he had like tools and all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of like, Oh, it'd be fun to, like learn how to build a guitar, do something like that. So I, mm-hmm. I made a few weird projects. Like I made a guitar that was made of two like shitty um, knockoff strap bodies that I sawed in half and like put hinges on. So it'd fold in half and have like a folding double neck guitar. 
Perfect. Which is really silly. And then I built like a guitar <laughs> from scratch that was very crude, but I had interchangeable fretboards, which was an idea that Whoa. I'd like to revisit now that I have a much better skill set for accomplishing that idea. But that was like kind of the first seeds of being interested in that, but I never really expected to do it. And then mm-hmm, when I moved mm-hmm. to New York after I graduated, my friend Robbie, who is like a big like vintage guitar nerd, and he was showing me a lot of the stuff he has. And he showed me like his Burns um, guitars. And that's how I found out about the double six to 12 string. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm. go to Retrofret. Talk to Peter because Peter's like the Burns dude. And so I showed up there one day, talked to Peter for like five hours. And then, whoa. Yeah. And then because Peter can really talk <laughs> and we both nerd out really hard. And then I kept going back every once in a while just to like chat with Peter and like look at the stuff they had. And, um, I was like, this is really cool. And then I met Steve, the owner, and was like, oh, I'd love to work here. Or if you ever have like apprenticeships in your shop. And he's like, oh, you know, it's too small, but, you know, let's keep a dialogue open. And so that was like in 2014. And then I think, you know, over the next several years, I had like a few shitty jobs that I hated. And then I was working at SVA, which I loved, but they fired me for some unfortunate, I think like kind of queer phobic reasons. But uh. I lost that job and I messaged Shira, who was like the office manager at the shop and was like, Hey, you guys need anyone to work like even part time. Like I, you know, just need to find a new job. And she's like, Oh, I'm not sure. I'll let you know. And then she called me a couple weeks later and said they could use me like a couple days a week, you know, just helping out. And so I showed up and then worked two days and then immediately started full time. And then <laughs> I was still working in the office, but I was like in the back, you know, sort of fiddling with stuff and eventually Steve saw my work and was like, Oh, this is really good. And then I finally started getting <laughs> more more shop time. Sneaking and, it in there. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like mm-hmm. my full time job there. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh so a very long so, weird story. <laughs> I I I love that. I feel like it's like so many people's you know, like the way that they land where they're at is so it's not ne- yeah. it's like never just a straight like, oh I just did this thing and it was here I am. And it's always just like I think it's good for folks to hear what that sounds like for folks. Totally. You know? Yeah. You can have um, hope that something you never thought you'd be doing could end up becoming your life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for good, not for bad. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously retrofet fret has like just a ridiculous amount of things that are coming through. Mm-hmm. What's, I mean, you probably get asked this question a lot, but like what's kind of one of the wildest things that you've seen or worked on there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it all seems so like, not of it seems weird to me anymore because I'm so used to all this crazy shit. But I'm like, sure. I'm trying to think, yeah. what, is this, what would this be like if I had never seen any of these things before? Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that this resophonic violin that uh, Mallory wanted to look at during our reverb thing. That's just like a you know violin with a giant horn on the end of it. I saw that. I was just, that yeah. was the part that I, I got to, I got to catch and I was just like, that was my response. I was like, yeah. what, what is, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> it it and then really, I think the, it just looks like the harp guitars, the harp guitars usually get the yeah. other, like, what the hell is that response? So I've definitely worked on several harp guitars and I'm obsessed with them. Did you get and into harp guitars as a result of working there or were you into yeah. them before? Yeah. That makes sense. I like saw them there. I was like, Ooh, what are these? <laughs> I need this. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Uh, they're so cool. Yeah. I, I don't, them. I'm like trying to think of like what the tuning is. Is it just kind of like, it's kind of whatever you want to tuning. There's, there's yeah. really no rules. Okay. Some of the makers had suggested tunings. They put on like the mm-hmm. label inside the guitar. Like mine has a suggestion for the strings and the Gibsons have like a whole system that they came up with for it. Cause it has like 11 strings on the bottom at this point, you know, they've been out of style for a hundred years. So it's kind of whatever you want to do with them. Yeah. As long as it's not going to break, you're in good shape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's get in a little bit to conversation sort of around gender identities and gear. Is that cool? Yeah. Great. I love that. So let's do it. Me too. Weird. It's like we're both here to talk about that. Fancy meeting you here. Yeah. So on your Instagram, at one point you, and I think maybe multiple points, you had written something about like, valuing femininity especially for like trans women then folks like can you talk a little bit about that and what you were uh, relaying to folks about that um i think there's a big stigma um against like femininity in general in the world you know it's like seen as like 
lesser or weaker or something that's not serious or just like a whole bunch of negative stuff that a lot of people associate with it, you know, men and women and like, that's shitty. But then like as trans women, there's like an extra stigma about being too feminine. Cause like a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, like turfs or system of like, Oh, you're just like giving into the patriarchy and like misogyny. And like, you see, you, you think this is what women are. And like, you're just like fetishizing um, all this stuff. And then like other, other trans women or queer people also see that in a bad way. And mm-hmm. there's just like a whole extra la- level of like negativity that's thrown at like extra femme people yep. in general. So I like to remind people that it's actually not a bad thing and it's not you know if it's like my choice and something that i feel empowered by it's not just like giving into like the male gaze or the patriarchy because i don't do this for men or what other people think it's like all for me right that would be a lot to do that yeah it would be yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that would be a lot of work for someone else but it's it's also it's also like that's a lot of it, it yeah it feels to me very like misogynistic and you know transphobic to to have that point in the first place right like it's like you're you're devaluing by simply by devaluing femininity and not understanding that it it, that is a legitimate way that you want to be in the world yeah Um, it's like internalized misogyny it's like running rampant like giving into the same like dismissal of femininity that is like part of the like misogynistic culture like you know in like a traditional office setting how the you know, the women are expected to be extra feminine. Otherwise people think they are look like shit. And then, if, but if they mm-hmm. are extra feminine then they're not taken seriously and they're just sexually harassing to our time. So it's just like this horrible bullshit. And, you know, I fortunately don't have to deal with that world, but that is kind of like a good example of the double yeah. standards and just all the bullshit people who present femininely have to deal with, especially, you know, if you're like non-binary or like, male identified and you want to be femme it's like even more you know right so i guess it's a little more jarring for people to see that and then they of course see the feminine and you're like oh no that's bad like that's wrong like what are you doing giving up your masculinity for for that like that's stupid you know how dare you give up power or whatever yeah yeah no i mean i think that's what it is it's like you giving up power yeah. means that mine is threatened because and is not stable and not there forever right. and therefore it threatens me. Yeah, it's like. Exactly. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I felt like that was important. I'm very glad. I, I appreciate it. It's wild the things that other people care about. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You're like you could be doing so many other things in your life right now, yet here you are worrying about this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there are ways that you connect like the femininity and valuing that with like, you know, the music that you're creating, both like your solo stuff and then with your like heavier projects. I think it's not as directly tied into the music. I do like presenting very femme in like a heavy music context. So I think that Mm -hmm. also kind of challenges traditional ideas of like what kind of people are seen in those spaces but it's not like you know the priority of being in those bands it's like i just love playing that music and i find it very cathartic but i also i'm like a femme person so i'm gonna present that way when i play it i mean i was always drawn to like babes in toyland and like um courtney love and like that whole yeah kind of like super femme like grunge scene like i think that that yeah. look is like really excellent so yes <laughs> you know i'm gonna definitely yeah. try to try to channel that while I'm up there. So it's like a nice bonus. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, it. I feel like part of the connection there to me was in seeing like, oh, you can do these, these two things can coexist and that's okay. And that can be powerful. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's probably nice for, you know, like it was for a lot of young girls in the nineties to see that. I think it's probably nice for young girls now or young people in general to Mm -hmm. see like someone femme or queer trans, you know, doing that. And I try to be visible as I can because, you know, a long time before I was more actively posting about all this stuff. Most people like didn't know that I was trans unless I told them about it. And I didn't really realize that as a trans Mm -hmm. person, I just assume everyone thinks I'm trans and knows I'm trans and can tell. But a lot of people would always be like, oh, I didn't know that. And so I'm like, oh, I should try to change that and Mm -hmm. be visible for people. 
for trans people and for cis people, but more for sure. trans people. Yeah. Because I could have certainly yeah. used more representation when I was young, but it didn't really exist because social media didn't exist when I was coming out. <laughs> there we old. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as, as far as like your general experiences around gender identities gear, like in, in a variety of spaces, so it could be like recording or playing live or whatever in your experience as a luthier or whatever how has that shown up for you it's actually always been pretty pretty good like i haven't had a ton of super negative experiences i think because mm-hmm. partly because i've most of the time has been in new york people here yep. don't seem to really give a fuck but like you know at, at work Nothing with my coworkers has ever really happened that's been negative. Like no, no, like weird transphobia or sexism or homophobia, you know, that's like rampant or shitty, but you know, there's definitely been some customers who have been a little weird about maybe me being like super femme, but like not explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nothing major. I mean, I think that I've had people like, wow, I've never seen a like, girl sing in a metal band before you know stuff like that but yeah nothing crazy and you're you have had more issues with customers than than anything yeah i've had a couple the most common thing is like if someone calls and needs to talk to someone about a repair if i talk to them sometimes they'll be like oh like well i don't you know they like basically won't believe me and then like a male coworker will say the same thing to them and they'll accept that as good or if i mm-hmm. pick up the f- i don't really answer the phones anymore but when i used to answer the phones you'd always be like oh can i you know talk to someone about something and instead of just asking me because they assumed that i was like the secretary or you know something like that so yeah 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 so more just like not believing that you know what you're talking about at yeah, first. yeah yeah until you prove them like exactly Yes. Which I think is a pretty <laughs> typical experience of like any woman working in a music store. Yes. <laughs> yeah. As far as your own experiences in music stores, like going into stores, have you would have you had that's that been okay for you, or have you had like particularly good or bad experiences? Or never really had any bad experiences. I haven't had mm. the like classic like ultra mansplain happen to me at guitar stores. Mm. I feel like. I don't know. Maybe it's just not the ones in New York where that happens or I don't know. I've just never. The regionalism of that is, is interesting too. Like, you know, yeah. Because I think that's probably true. It's like people are just, people are used to interacting with folks from a wider range of experience, perhaps just by, by virtue of being in New York. Yeah. I also tend to like, I, I think I dress a little more weird and also like I'm usually taller than all of the men working at the stores. So I think Mm. that that sort of maybe intimidates them or, Mm. you know, a lot of men want women who are shorter than them in terms of like hitting on them or things like that. So I feel like I tend to avoid a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I found that Mm -hmm. since I started dressing more unusually, I get a lot less cat calls on the street, Ah, which is a nice benefit, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's like a strange (laughs) like validation in being cat called. I'm like, oh, they think I'm a pretty lady, but also this is gross. (laughs) But right. it's also nice not to have to really deal with that as much anymore. Because, like, when I used to, you know, just kind of have, like, normal color hair and I'd wear, like, the kind of short dresses and, like, tights and, like, nothing fancy, I'd get a lot more, like, ooh, legs or, like, you're tall and blah, 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 you mm-hmm, know. And mm-hmm. now it's, like, I'm wearing some crazy hat and, like, flowers and people are, like, whoa, like, I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know what to think of all this. So it's just... <laughs> Scares. I'm just gonna be ex- be like interested, but not say anything because I don't know yeah. what to do. Just scare them yeah. away. Um, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Have you noticed that there are different dynamics? Like when I don't know how much solo performance you've done versus like band performance. Has that been different or more band than solo for sure? Yeah. Have you noticed the gender dynamics of that? Like being different, like when you're performing with a band versus by yourself, or not particularly. No. Yeah. I think because at least in Couchlet, like Megan is also there. You know, the guys in the band aren't like shitty dudes. So there's never been any weirdness there. And I think most of the people that come to our shows tend to be cool and yeah. like smart and not like 
gross. So there's not been a lot of anything like that at shows either. Um, I know that Megan has had a lot of experiences in the past in terms of just going to shows and being broke and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, nothing, nothing like really stands out to me mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like in the luthier space, like, I, I don't know if you're like part of, if you consider yourself like part of the luthier community and you're doing a lot of like yeah. your related things re- regularly, right? Mm-hmm. Have you noticed if you go outside of New York that that changes or like that, that your experience like with gender and luthiership changes? I've never actually experienced any of that stuff outside of New York. So I can't really say. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was like, cause sometimes it's like everything is virtual and sometimes oh, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've met a few people that aren't in New York um, but they've all been like wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know a lot of women luthiers on the internet, um, and yeah. locally as well, but I haven't been to like a lot of shops, like maybe down in the South or Midwest and met any of those people like in person. So yeah, there's always kind of like a little bit, like I'm going to, um, New Jersey tomorrow to like get a guitar to restore from this guy. And, you know, on the phone, he's like, oh, hi, honey, like, sweetheart, all this, you know, that uh-huh. kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. There's always this, like, weird fear of, like, what's he going to think when he actually meets me in real life? Because, you mm-hmm. know, he doesn't know what I look like. And uh, he doesn't know I'm trans and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know how he'll read me. And there's always kind of, like, this underlying, like, you know, is it going to be weird or is he going to be an asshole kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, I've definitely had other people who are, like, friends of the shop who, like, would be, like, super friendly and interact with me a lot. And then they find me on Instagram and are like a little bit back off a little bit after that. So it's kind of, you know, weed out the people. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about more about like, so you talked a little bit about trying to be more present on Instagram. Do you have particular like goals or things that you're trying to get across with your, with your Instagram for folks? I tried to, I think the goal has been to be more visible like as a trans woman mm-hmm. on there to like mainly for trans women in general, mm-hmm. like young, old, wherever they are in their transition. I just want to be like visible and like a source that they can like look up to or reach out to, or, you know, learn from because mm-hmm. there's like a lot of stuff that when I was younger, I wish that I had known or been able to see, but you know, I didn't have Instagram because it hadn't been invented yet. And yeah there wasn't really much in the media. So I was like, I'd like to, you know, put myself out there and talk about a lot of stuff that I think is important in the trans community and, you know, gender and queerness in general. And I've had a lot of like young Mm -hmm. trans women from all over the world, you know, start following me and reach out and say how much it helps them. And it's been really nice to see that. And I've made a lot of new trans friends in general. And I've been like focusing more of my energy on spending time with other trans people, which has been really wonderful. That's really yeah, nice. It's important. Yeah. Are there things that you specifically see like cis musicians getting wrong about working with trans musicians? Is that something I know you're not talking specifically about musicians on your page yeah. necessarily, but like, is that a thing? That, are there particular things that folks are like definitely consistently getting wrong? Um, I think it's like kind of the same stuff people get wrong, regardless of what context it's in, you know? Right. It's like, there's a lot of like, well-meaning people that just will say something kind of clumsy or awkward, you know? Yeah. A lot of it is like people get confused by pronouns or they'll like slip up pronouns. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't, I haven't like had any of that in the music scene, but I'm sure there's a lot of uh, people that have, you know, or like I've had a few friends who like have transitioned while they're in a music project. And like, fortunately Mm -hmm. had wonderful experiences. Like everyone's been supportive and, Mm. you know, like kind of representing the band is in like with new, the new member, but it's the same member, but it's like a very sweet thing. Aww. But like, you know, like yesterday I was out at like a nice picnic with a bunch of trans women and a couple of us went out to a drink afterwards. And like, it was a nice time. And then like the waitress who was definitely cis came up and was like, okay, are you ladies ready to settle up? And she's like, Oh wait, I mean, whatever you, your pronouns are, wait, but I mean, I don't want to <laughs> call you ladies. And I was like, no ladies is fine. And then Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, it was nice that she was trying to be inclusive. I don't know what her goal was, but like, I was more like what made her think ladies wasn't the correct gender for us all of a sudden. 
and it was just weird. And I'm like, that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of cis people do and like, you know, in music or anywhere. So yeah, I don't know. I think she was trying to be nice. Like maybe she thought some of us could be non-binary or maybe she uh-huh. wasn't sure, but I was like, what at the end of the night, what suddenly made you think that that was incorrect. So yeah, it was weird. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, I, I would imagine that that is just a, the, the stumbling over kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, there's like the whole thing of like, just like when trans women hang out in groups, we all tend to get like read more. Mm-hmm. For some reason, uh, instead of if we're like alone, like hang, hang out with like cis people or something. So mm-hmm. that may have had something to do with it. I don't really know. It's always a weird, weird thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for folks in the industry more broadly, if you if somebody came to you and were like, "Hey, we're representing this like guitar company or like pedal company or whatever, and we want to make change in the industry for the better," yeah, what should we do? What would you tell them? I think. One thing that was important that actually I've had a couple of people in the, not necessarily in the guitar industry, but in like their own businesses, that they like come to the shop and like see my posts and stuff is to like have everyone that works at the company, like share their pronouns, mm-hmm. regardless of if they're trans or cis, because then it kind of just normalizes it. And then it makes it less outing for a trans person to share their pronouns. Cause like in a lot of cases doing that is suddenly like, outing yourself as trans and maybe you don't want to do that. So if like everyone's yeah. doing it, it just becomes normal. And then there's a lot of people who are use they, them or pronouns that you might not be able to just assume by looking at them and that helps them mm-hmm. um, get around better. So I think that's like a big thing. And like, I think a lot of companies should hire more trans people. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I, yeah. I can probably say confidently that the demographics in terms of trans uh, employees at most musical organizations is pretty low yes yeah i mean there's not like a huge number of us but there's more that could be doing that stuff than there probably are right right so like and i would in probably like featuring folks with like sponsorships or artists like signatures or whatever the thing might be yeah if they're doing demo videos or if they have you know gear they want to send people like having like a trans person do it or like it just like a queer person or someone that's just not like the typical dude playing like mm-hmm. blues riffs, you know, cause there's just so many yes. guitar demo videos that are also the same, same, same guy, whether or yeah. not it's actually the same guy, it's like the same guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think it's, I mean, I feel like it's that, that, that it's at least expanding musically to some degree. Like I feel like that's getting a little better, but yes. yeah, I feel like there's still a long way to go. Yeah, um, that's why I'm, I'm excited to do the um, the demo video for this Keeley pedal finally because I was I was really like flattered they offered to send me one which I've kind of taken my time getting around to doing it but I'm really excited to like put together a really good demo video and not be the typical mm-hmm. thing you expect from a demo video so that's awesome trying to piece that together and hope we have it out soon that's awesome yeah I'm very excited to see that because yeah I'd uh, love to do yeah. more of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm hear that world <laughs> uh send everything to amy yeah send me your stuff and I'll, I'll i'll make videos that are cute and play them yes uh, i that's great okay cool cool uh so you mentioned at the intro a couple of things that are coming up for you can you talk a little bit more about that so people can grab it now that they've listened to everything awesome that you had to say uh they're like yeah. oh i must i need more amy in my life how do i do it how, so what what's coming up how can people stay in contact with you um i have there's a couple couchlet shows coming up. One on Halloween, which is sold out, but there's another date the next night. Um, same, same venue, same Vitus. I think we might play two different sets. We were kind of floating that idea around. Mm. So if you want to catch both sets and you already have tickets for Halloween, you could come to the next show and see different songs. Are you and doing then, Halloween? Are you doing Halloween covers, or is that like? Uh, no, we might play no. our Fugazi cover, but we're just going to do oh. our, our our songs. It'd be fun. What's to your play. Fugazi cover? Oh, what is it? Full disclosure. Okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) And that's coming out on like a charity compilation album that's benefiting, I think, animal sanctuaries. Cool. And then we have a show November 25th with um, Live School and this other band. I love Thalia. I know. I love That's why I was like excited to take that show. I was like, yes, Live School. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. And then I have 
uh, my solo album pre-order, which is dwindling down. But if you want to get a copy, you can buy it. Um, there's a link in my bio on Instagram. And if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, my Instagram and TikTok are both for Coco underscore witch. Yes. Which I implore everyone to do immediately. And I started posting more on TikTok again. So if people were missing those videos, I think they, I think some people were, but I've been taking a break for all the surgeries and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I'm not on TikTok, so I cannot speak to it, but I'm sure it's great. It's it's cute. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Amy. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is super fun. And, you know, one day we'll play together. It'll be great. Yeah, I would love that. Amy is so great. What a fun conversation. Definitely check out the show notes for all of her links and information. It's all there for you. Thanks, Amy. So this week, I wanted to take a minute to talk about some pieces of gender neutral language in music spaces. So when I'm talking about this today, you'll, you'll see what I mean. But this can mean a lot of different things to different people. One way that I see this show up a lot is when a cis man will be talking on a podcast or a rig rundown or in a shop about gear with another cis man, and they say, most guys, most guys, you've heard this, right? Uh, I mean, you know, hashtag not all men, but also not everyone is a man. So there, this actually bothers me personally more than using guys as sort of a faux gender neutral term to address a mixed gender group, which we'll get into in a minute. And, you know, a lot of people think that gender neutral language is like an overreaction or PC or whatever. In reality, research shows that our language really determines the way that we think. It actually creates patterns of thought for us. So, for example, when we use a term like guys to refer to a group of people, In our brains, it essentially erases the existence and the importance of anyone else in that group. And you wouldn't want to do that, would you? Me neither. We're going to get into some specifics around most guys and some but not all, by any means, gender-specific language. We'll cover most guys, guys, dudes, and ladies. We're going to save gender-neutral pronouns, pronouns in general, for another time, as with gender-neutral job titles and uh, non-English usage, right? So this is a very big topic, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get into some of those at another point. So with that, let's get into it. So most guys, guys, and dudes. So I have a physical reaction every time I hear someone say most guys. It's, It's one of those few times it actually feels like my heart is sinking. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how it feels. Uh, in usage, it's usually something like most guys prefer to put their buzz before their other drives, or most guys like to use a dynamic mic slightly off center, or most guys prefer round wounds to flat wounds or something like that in a conversation between two cis men. And it feels exceedingly insular and exclusive. And when it happens in a space like a podcast or something like that, or like a YouTube video, it assumes that the person who's listening or watching is a man as well, right? So why is this an issue? At no point in our history has anyone seemed to think that guys is a gender neutral term in usage. So when someone says most guys, it means either that the person saying it really doesn't believe that anyone play, plays other than men, or if they do, they don't think that their opinion or what they do is valuable enough to mention it, right? As I mentioned, it just erases it. On the other hand, there has been a pretty significant chunk of the last 50 or so years when terms like guys or dudes or bros or whatever, that's maybe another conversation, but, uh, you know, as a note, you know, not most dudes, which is a small yet significant differentiation. So dudes versus most dudes is also different. Language is complicated, isn't it? So yeah, these are terms that I have personally been trying to break from over the last like five or 10 years. And I really do realize that it's hard to do. And I still slip up more often than I'd like to. I too say dude a lot. I tr- I'm really trying not to. I sometimes address a group as guys and I'm trying to undo that myself. What have I used in their place? Well, uh, I use dude only to refer to men that I try to at this point. 
in the place where I previously would have said, dude, as like an exclamation, like, dude, check this out. I just say something like, whoa, check this out. You know, I really am trying and I, it re requires mental work and calculation, but I, I too am trying to get there. So terms like, like ladies, like, hey, ladies, it's probably in everyone's best interest, I would say, not to refer to a group of people as either girls or ladies. Girls is a problem because this term often uh, is often used to refer to a group of adult women, which is, you know, not everyone will agree with me about this, but I assure you that enough do that I would highly recommend against it. It can feel really infantilizing, especially when it comes from someone who's younger than you, which happens more frequently than you would think. I was recently in a meeting where an adult man referred to a group of adult women in the meeting as girls and then called everyone guys two seconds later. People were not happy about it. It did not go over well. Uh, ladies is a problem because throughout history, there's been an exception for women to be or an expectation for women to be ladylike, which is something that many women have fought against for a very long time. Right. It goes along with like the expectations for how women are supposed to behave. And, you know, I'm here to report as well that like, hey, females or hey, women likely won't land much better than any of these either. There's a whole other category of when you talk and when you address a, guy, a group of guys as girls, and that's also meant to, uh, you know, basically be an insult to the men that are there. So it's it's a whole it's complicated, right? Um, an additional caveat to that, you know, I will I will stand behind most of my notes here, but as mentioned by Amy in our conversation, for some trans folks, using gender specific language can feel affirming. However, if you, if you don't know the gender of the people you're talking to, and for the most part, it is ill-advised to assume it based on someone's appearance, it's best to default to a more gender-neutral term. And as men Amy mentioned, it's possible that the waitress in her story might have thought someone was non-binary. But the real problem is that she used ladies in the first place and then sort of like took it back based on something, right? If she had said, hey there, or okay, what do we think, everyone? Dessert? You know, like it would have been of different, you know, situation. It wouldn't have been an issue in the first place. So what are some better ways to address a group? So for a large group, which, you know, I do a lot of trainings and teaching and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm addressing larger groups pretty often. So I have to think about this a lot. So I use like everyone. I use team, people, crew, folks, friends, or buddies depending on the setting and like how well I know the group members, right? If it's a bunch of friends, I might say, all right, friends, you know, or hey, buddies. And that is a different thing, right? So, you know, as someone who's not from the South, I personally feel weird saying y'all, but a lot of folks do that too. And that's great. Um, I use all like, as in like, hello, all in emails, but it often feels too formal to like say it out loud. <laughs> hey, all, I guess it's okay. I don't know. This language is also inclusive of non-binary, gender non-conforming, gender expansive folks, or anyone else living outside of the gender binary. So it really is a win-win. So when we're talking about an individual person, you can see this kind of extends in similar language to some degree. So most of the language uh, I just mentioned transfers to individuals as well. So like instead of girl or lady or miss or ma'am or mister or sir, you can try person or buddy or customer or hello there or simply hello. In case you're wondering, a common gender-neutral honorific for those like formal occasions is MX, which is pronounced mix. Uh, there are a lot of others as well. So honorific being like miss or mister or doctor, that kind of thing, or ms. Um, those are, that's, that's just another example. So language changes. There are often disagreements about what is correct language, even between members of the same group, right? It's highly likely that much of this will change even within the next few years. And this is, I'm saying this broadly across language, right? Um, and, and expectations around how you identify groups and language that folks use. So, you know, with that, we need to get used to shifting our language because it's going to change. But it's likely that the specifics around gender neutral language, since it is like almost inherently used uh, pretty standardly inclusive language, like everyone will stick around. Everyone's probably going to be here, probably not going to cause issues in the pro in the future, I'm going to guess. Um, even if it might require a little bit of practice, if you want to create a welcoming space, it's the right thing to do, right? So let's work on it. I'm going to work on it too. <laughs> I commit to it. Let's do it. All right. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so more folks can hear about it. 
And if you want to stay in contact, you can do so via Midriff on Instagram or and Facebook or via the website. There are links in the show notes to all of that. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.